an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. And we all felt it too, but it's heightened right now. Like we all felt kind of like everyone's looking at us, this kind of social pressure and this social hierarchy, creative being judged. And I think it's important too for us to share with our kids the way you're feeling right now that everybody's worried about you, they're all worried about themselves too. So like they might glance at you and be like, okay, that person's doing that or that person fell or that, whatever. But they're really in their own head as well during this age. And so for us to kind of share with our kids, because a lot of times they're like, okay, if I, if I join a team and if I don't do well, I'm going to feel humiliated or whatever that is. And it's just because of them worrying to what other people think. Mm. Oh, and I wish we can I wish we can fix that before they turn 40. <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Erin Hansen, and she is here to share with us some parenting tips. And she is a parenting expert, and she has 25 years of coaching children and parents. Already, we've hit it off. You know, we we both understand what it's like to work with teenagers. I used to work in the New York City public school system with high-risk students, both in high school and in seventh grade. And I can't wait to tell you about about my experience with the seventh graders because they were nuts. She is going to share with us some advice for struggling parents and six ways that we can connect with our students and children. So if you're a teacher out there or if you're a parent, let's get started with this because this is important stuff. We need to talk about mental health because our kids are struggling right now. And by the way, welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so stoked, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Obviously, we've been going through the pandemic. It already sucked to be a teenager or a tween. How has things even gotten probably worse for kids? And like, what can we do to help support them? Because I mean, I hated being a teen or a tween. When I was a teacher and I was working with them, I literally would see the seventh grade kids do something and they had like almost an out-of-body experience where they looked at themselves like, why did I just do that? Well, they couldn't stop themselves. And they would apologize later on and be like, I don't know what happened. And it, and I know it had to do with like the the hormones and the trauma that they were you know, they had been through in their childhood. So they're dealing with that. And then this pandemic, and I mean, I can't even imagine what it's got to be like to be boots on the ground working with these kids or trying to raise them. So can you give us some tips on how to help our kids right now? For sure. I just want to share with you just the importance and the reason why we both are doing this work probably, but my mission is the rates of teen anxiety, suicide, depression have just skyrocketed. The pandemic, like you mentioned, just increased that because of the lack of connection, because of the feeling like 
it's all eyes on me usually when you're a teen and it's very egocentric, but then you put them on Zoom and then it really is all eyes on them and they can't get away from it. And then this feeling of being misunderstood and then they're isolated. So that's kind of made the amount of depression and anxiety go up. What we're seeing is kids going back to school, not having just the regular ways of, you know, chatting, eye contact, just being in a physical space without the comfort of like a device or the messaging. Also, just the engagement on attention and that everything now is so quick and instant and stimulating, very like overstimulating. So the comparing of others and social media, actually social media research shows that the effect of social media, especially on teen girls, increases depression because they're constantly just kind of in that comparison. And like you mentioned before all of this, you know, when we were teens, we were going through some major issues and the brain changes and hormonal changes. And like you said, they don't, they can't explain it. I mean, we can't really explain it. We can tell them as parents and teachers, you know, and coaches, we could say like, we understand what you're going through and there's all these different changes. They can't really explain it, but they're, like you said, they'll do things and it's a very impulsive act. And then they'll realize like, uh oh, what was I going through? And so I think it's important for us to try to connect with our past, like as, as adults and try to remember how we were at this age. And it's funny, like you can, you're very in touch with energy and yourself and, and you can probably remember all of the trials and tribulations as a middle schooler. And do you remember feeling like it was all good and happy or do you remember feeling? (laughs) Worst years of my life, clearly. I mean, honestly, from fifth grade to senior year, maybe it was just awful. Same, same. But what's funny is as that some of the parents that I work with, they don't remember it like that. It's so in my head, I'm like, maybe you blocked it out because we all have these major embarrassing moments, awkward times. And so for certain parents that don't remember any of those, it's very interesting. That is interesting. I I would think that that was a universal experience to really just hate middle school. (laughs) I mean, high school, I could understand. I still hadn't come into my own. And then I broke my back when I was 16 years old. So I was out of school for my junior year, my whole junior year. I remember going into my junior year feeling like, I think I know who I am. I think I understand things. And then two weeks later, I broke my back and I was out, which was a huge self-discovery year. And I I definitely learned a lot about myself. But and by the time I went back senior year, I was kind of like, well, I just broke my back and I just got through that. So I don't give a fuck what you think about me. You know, like I, I knew who I was it's very solidly. But the cattiness, I remember just not understanding. It's also very hard being a sensitive person. So going through this and watching like the cattiness, the meanness, ugh, God, there was just yeah. so much that I, I just felt horrible about. Yeah. And you mentioned being like being a sensitive person and and personally, like that was me. Now I have two daughters of my own and one is 11 and she's always been super sensitive and reading other people's energy. And, and it's really hard to explain. I don't know. And I guess I want to ask you too about how can we help those kids, especially, you know, cause there's all the things like you can role play and you could share with them, like the language you use, you can help them like protect their energy. You can help them find peeps that they connect with, but they can't get away from it especially on social media too now. And and I recommend parents stop that until kids are much older, but yeah. So what age would you recommend social media? Oh my gosh. If I could, I mean, like it's never really recommended, I guess. I know. I know. I guess we try to say like at least 13, but gosh, we're seeing that the rates of the, you know, depression and stuff, I would say like 16, Yeah. but that's not going to happen in reality. So one of my questions actually is, is there a right answer about when to give your kid a phone? 
there's different types of phones. But my son keeps asking for like just one that he can call me on. And also he wants a cell signal <laughs> so he can use his iPad and like download movies and stuff or play a game. Is there a recommended time to give a kid a phone? I know this is like the question and the device problem and the question. And I think it just depends on each family is different. Like some kids, you know, some families I know the parents are gone and they need their kid to have a phone. Mm -hmm. And there's that phone. I think the one I've been researching is called like the gab phone where they can call, but they can't really be online. There's all different kind of ways that you can work it. So they, they need their kid to have it. Some parents have these parameters about when they're 12 or when they're 14. And what makes it hard is... I know like as a parent myself is even if my husband and I have a set date or something for my kid to get one when her friends are getting them, you mm. know, and so then, and, and then they're good people, good parents, good family. So you can't just be like, oh yeah, that you know, that kid needs it because they're like a latchkey kid or whatever, but everyone has kind of a different formula for their family. It's a really tough decision. Mine wants one and she's when she's 12 and I'm just going to have to maybe set some really strict guidelines. And I think that's where I see problems arise with families is when they're saying my kid only wants to be on the device or they can't get them off their phone. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not about having the phone. It's about how often they're using it and how they're connecting with their family. And so if parents are coming to me with that problem, usually it's because they don't have a system in place or boundaries or rules. And many parents I talk to, they ask me like, oh, should it be two hours a day or one hour a day? For my family, that doesn't work because you know why? I, I can't, like I can set the timer on the phone, but I can't regulate it consistently as a parent. I know personally, if I'm doing work and it's summertime and my kids are up here, like it's very difficult for me to go, there's your half hour, there's your hour, you know, mm -hmm. at this certain time. Right. So for us, it's a little bit different parameters. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is just like kind of like what works for the family. And we we're telling our son, I mean, he literally asks us every day. <laughs> it's really annoying. But we're like the kids in the neighborhood get it at, I think, 11. So we're like, we'll discuss it then. <laughs> See yeah. what life is like then. The whole social media thing, yeah, I definitely know very detrimental to kids. And I definitely would recommend that people hold off on that with their children as long as possible. I know how hard that is just because everybody else is doing it, you know, and that's what's the hard part is you're like a party you're not invited to. How can we connect more with our teen tween on a regular basis? I personally know, I mean, this sounds so silly, but we have these little cards at our dinner table that have helped facilitate some conversations with our my son. So. And it's really interesting. And I saw on Instagram, you actually had some questions that you recommended too. And we used to do that as teenagers. So like I grew up with a twin sister and then a brother that was just 18 months younger than me. And then there was three other kids in the house. So there's a total of six of us. So anyway, there was a lot of conversations around being a teen or whatever. And we used to do those questions where it's like, what would you rather, you know, like, yeah. and then we make up these ridiculous things. So I think that's a great idea to make up those ridiculous conversations. But is there anything else that we can do to help connect with our teens and tweens? First of all, it's important for us to remember that while they're going through these changes, they're feeling super insecure. They're feeling awkward. And they don't think we as older people remember or understand the hoodies, the hiding, the like retreating to the room, the wanting alone time. First of all, just understand. And because in order to connect with them, they're going to want to connect with you in a different way than when they were younger. It's not going to be so easy. Like if you do have a regular dinner and like bring out the cards, that that seems like an easy way or you're in the car ride. That's a very light time to, you know, have a conversation. But if something more serious or you want to connect on a deeper level, just being able to understand where they're coming from and don't give up. So many parents 
will just say, oh, my kid's going to go through this stage and they're going to come around like when they're 18. And, and if, you know, and really they do like, you know, and I see, especially on a lot of the mommy groups, they're like, oh, don't worry. You know, it was a couple of bad years. And then all of a sudden it got better. And I'm like, no, 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 please. It doesn't have to be like that. But if, you know, if one of the sentence stems or questions that I encourage my parents to say to their kids is, do you want me to just listen? Or do you want me to help you problem solve? Mm-hmm. And good really, listen with compassion and non-judgment. And I know you're a big person of like being non-judgmental, but it's hard as parents because we want to fix. We want to make our our kids feel safe. We want to, you know, we just want to help them so much. But if we can just learn to listen, have compassion. And even if it's something so dumb, like something yeah. that our kids like <laughs> so upset about or like in our head, oh, okay, this is so silly. And we want to try to tell them, this is not really a big deal, but to them, it really is. And if we can just really kind of connect with their energy and what they're feeling and have empathy, it's going to help your kids open up to you more. And especially if you stay true to that. And if they say, just listen, just listen, you know, do you want a hug? Do you want, do you want your space? Sometimes when kids are going through these like tantrums or these outbursts, so like you mentioned with your students, your seventh grade students, they go through these outbursts and we react because we want to go like, eh, shouldn't be doing this way or they're or they're moody and we're like ah get out of your mood you know this energy is horrible but instead if you can just be like okay how can I help you like do you just need your space you need your time and a very like non-judgmental tone a very chill like because we need to balance their energy wherever it is Mm -hmm. we kind of meet them right yeah Yeah. I actually, when you're talking, I just remember that I used to have a journal that would go back and forth between me and my mom. And I was the only kid that did that. (laughs) And I I remember, (laughs) I don't know that my mom was great at it, but she did respond to me, but in ways that I was like, not very reassuring. I'm remembering it was kind of (laughs) just kind of like, this is ridiculous or whatever. And I totally forgot about it until you started talking about it. But I mean, that's something that we can implement is, you know, if, if you feel better writing, I remember you used to feel so overwhelmed. My nervous system would just start shaking when I got really upset. And so like, I couldn't really express myself unless I was quiet in my room. And then I could write what was wrong and tell my mom that way. I really love this idea of no judgment and and really just seeing them where they are. Because like you said, it is their whole world. They are coming from such an ego perspective of like, everything is about them. And so they're going to make everything about them. And, and we want to honor the fact that they see it that way, but also try to show them the way that it could be or is in another way that's gentle. With you talking about this, it reminds me of how we try to help our kids to not fail. Failing, I have seen the benefits of it personally, myself with my own growth, but also with watching teenagers and tweens fail. It's so important because then they realize life isn't always perfect. And now I have some skills and tools and it's not the first time that I'm failing when I'm 21 years old and, you know, I'm dealing with a college professor or something like that. What is this all about? What can we do to help our kids to fail and not (laughs) end up like (laughs) depressed and like quitting everything and like not trying new things? Right. It's important to celebrate and encourage Failure, and I want to kind of put this out there because you know how people will jump on it. Like, I don't want my kid to fail. No, I'm saying we want them to try so hard that they, that they fail. And I, I tell my kids and my families a story that when I was younger, I was, I was into musical theater and I was doing this like dance ensemble and we were all together 
and I fell. I like, I was, I just ate it. And my dance teacher applauded me in front of everyone. And he's like, see that she is the only one trying so hard. You all should be trying that hard that you fall all the time. That's what I want to see. And he just made me feel like here. I was just feeling so like horrible that I just ate it. And he just made me feel amazing. And I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I tried so hard. I fell. And now I'm just going to get better from here. And that's what we kind of see in sports too, or in any kind of thing that we take up and music and being creative and business, we're going to try different things. And I think if parents and coaches and teachers can kind of applaud that and make it and normalize it and share stories of our own failures and, you know, how we overcome and show stories of successful people that they're kind of looking up to. And because everyone has that story, Mm -hmm. everyone does. And if we can just share with kids, look, it's going to take a million times. And a lot of times our kids are feeling this perfectionism. Like they, Mm. they don't want to try things, you know, unless they're, they're good at them. And I I saw this as a math teacher all the time where I would give the kids these challenge options. And let's say they were like doing really well with the regular curriculum and they were a little bit bored. And I'd say, okay, no problem. I'm going to give you these challenge options. Well, the kids only wanted to do the challenge options that they were kind of good at. So if it's a very procedural or algorithmic or algebraic, they wanted to do that. But I would say, no, we're going to work on solving this really abstract problem that was challenging for them. So it was kind of a mindset shift of sharing with them in order to get better, you're going to have to take some risks. I remember when my son was young and I was trying to teach him soccer or throwing a football or whatever. And he just immediately thought he was supposed to get it. And it really bothered me. I was like, no, you have to keep trying. And like, this is a skill. And like, we're trying to develop it. And he'd be like, I just don't want to do it anymore. And it took a while of me being able to coach him. And I swear he turned the corner when he was maybe five. But it was like leading up to that, he just had assumed that he was supposed to be good at it. Now he's now eight and he's starting to get a little bit better about it. But there are times where he's just like, I'm not going to try it because I'm not good at it. I know I'm not good. At it. I'm like, you have never even tried it. How do you know that? Oh, I know. Um, I know. Yeah. I've seen where there have been parents who were protecting their child so much so that when they got into the real world, they didn't know how to handle failure and it just like wrecked them. They, did, they just didn't know how to handle at all. So it is something that it's important that we expose our kids to so they can learn the skills, see that they can get up, be resilient, you know, and then, like you said, force them to try some, to be uncomfortable and, and you know, try an, an algorithm problem that they're not used to or whatever to expand their mind. I love this idea of talking to kids about, let's say for my son, he's so into sports, talking about the failures, like how Michael Jordan didn't make the team when he was, I think, in high school or something like that. You know, those are the kind of things that they need to hear or like Babe Ruth, that whole story about him, whatever that story. (laughs) There's a lot of them. But just sharing them because and especially with social media, I mean, these kids, I bet, think that everybody's got these perfect lives because that's what's being portrayed and that they don't fail and that they're not sad behind the scenes. It's hard. Yes. And and they're also, I, I also see around this age group is, and we all felt it too, but it's heightened right now. Like we all oh felt kind of like everyone's looking at us, this kind of social pressure and this social hierarchy, creative being judged. And I think it's important too, for us to share with our kids, the way you're feeling right now, that everybody's worried about you, they're all worried about themselves too. So like they might glance at you and be like, okay, that person's doing that, or that person, 
whatever, whatever, but they're really in their own head as well during this age. And so for us to kind of share with our kids, because a lot of times they're like, okay, if I, if I join a team and if I don't do well, I'm going to feel humiliated or whatever that is. And it's just because of them worrying to what other people think. Mm. Oh, and I wish we can, I wish we can fix that before they turn 40. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we were talking about I'm going to teach her EFT. So she knows how to use that with her students and clients and parents even to learn to love and accept yourself no matter what is priceless, no matter what your age is. So definitely important for us to teach these kids, you know, to get rid of their trauma as they're gaining it. So can you tell us six human needs that will help us to connect with our children? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. So I love sharing with people about the six human needs because once we understand them, they really shape our behavior and our reactions. So if we can kind of understand what, what our main top needs are at a certain time, and we can understand where our kids are, then we can kind of, it just helps us to figure out each other and how we're going to react to each other and how we can help steer our kids to meet their needs in a healthy way. So we all have maybe two that we place most important, but it changes throughout our life stages. So they are certainty, variety, significance, love and connection, growth and contribution. Hmm. And what this means is, so like, I'll share with you, like certainty is the need to have, like, you're certain that you're going to get up, go to work, have your daily schedule, come home. Like there are certain things in your life and certain structures that you can count on and makes you feel safe, lessens anxiety. But then there's also the need for variety. And that's where we want to have, you know, different stimulation, different environments. The need for significance is to feel significant. Just like it says, love and connection, we all have this need, but at certain times, certain people have more of that need for that love and connection. The need for growth, we're always constantly growing and learning. And then the need for contribution to feel like you are contributing to society, to your to your different groups that you're a part of. So I share this with parents because especially during middle and high school time, as a parent, our need for certainty goes up because we need to feel like our kids are going to stay safe. As a kid, their need for variety usually during this time, and I mean, I'm just kind of generalizing from what, from my experience and what I, who I've worked with, their need for variety goes up. So they want to try on different things and just figure themselves out. And they're just trying to learn about who they are. So a lot of times these two needs kind of butt heads because we want to feel certain and they want to explore. And so I share with parents that if you can understand, like these needs are shaping your kid's behavior. So if they're doing a certain behavior, if you can look back at like, what need were they trying to meet by doing this behavior? Like, let's say they go out and they go to a party and, you know, make some not so great decisions or whatever. What need were they trying to meet? Were they in the variety? Was it feeling significant or feeling a connection to a group? And so mm. if we as parents can understand, we can perhaps help them meet their needs in a more healthy way, like mm. maybe give them different opportunities and things to try and explore. So they feel continue to feel stimulated or give them a way to feel significant in your family or your community so they can gain that confidence. That's a great point right there. You know, I was just thinking like, could you seriously swap out let's say pizza was usually for dinner, but like you took your kid to go get sushi or something like that. Like that variety is going to fill that need so that they're not making these other choices. I mean, not necessarily, but you know, it could help taking them to different places and introducing them to different things. I really like that idea to try to just keep it fresh because honestly, like when we were growing up, it was just the advent. I'm assuming you're around my age just based on your experience. We were at the beginning of MTV being 
produced. And that was cool. But it, it then evolved into this thing where they were changing the screen every three seconds so that it caused us to want more variety. So we kind of grew up before that. And then, you know, we're exposed to it in our 20s, let's say. But younger kids, I remember being worried about my little sister and being like, wow, she really needs a lot of stimulation from social media because that was the advent of social media. But then also TV changed. And it just it's a lot to compete with. I mean, when we were kids, like we would sit down and like wait on the curb for our parents and like follow the curb and like watch the ants and like count the grapes and grass and shit like that. Yeah, Yeah, like play with a roly-poly. Yeah, like tie our shoe and just be like, all right, mom's going to be here soon. We're used to less stimulation and they're like craving it all the time. And I mean, I struggle with my son sometimes. I like, I feel like, oh my God, can you just be bored? (laughs) Yes. And you know, it's a struggle. It's a moment of uncomfortability, but then after they end up entertaining themselves and they Mm -hmm. figure it out. But I think that that first initial, like, uncomfortability with the parent and the kid, then we give in sometimes because we're tired too, you know, but if we can just be like, no, go to your room, nothing, no device, figure it out. And then they end Mm -hmm. up creating, creating. And I talk to my kids about creating versus consuming. And that's another thing. Oh, I like that device. Yeah. (laughs) So much that one time my dog was like looking out the door and we call it her TV. And so I hear my, I hear my daughter go by her and go, Kona, that's a dog name. Kona, stop consuming. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So, you know, it's one thing, like if they're on Minecraft or like Animal Crossing or something and they're like making a house or they're creating like a video or they're working on Tinkercad or something, they're on a device, but they're kind of creating versus YouTube, 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 consuming something like that, you know, to not learn, but you know, it's about being bored and then just helping them see different ways. And I think that creation is where we really want to see. So even if they're on their device, but we ended up creating things, we created dumb games. If you know, there's nothing around, we made up a game. And so Mm -hmm. I want to see that more with our Mm -hmm. kids. Yeah, it is a struggle. And we definitely try to get him to do that. Uh, like we'll be like, no, you play with your toys. And then if he's like, no, I don't want to we're like, then fine. That means that you don't want your toys anymore. And we'll just go donate them. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting like, out the trash bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so which one is it? You want to play with your toys or you don't? Anyway, yeah, we, we definitely need to encourage these kids to be more creative. And I, you know, I actually am working with a teenager right now in my business and I'm so proud of him. Like the reason why I hired him was because he's an entrepreneur. And I was thinking back in the day, you know, I had all these shit jobs, right? Like I, when I was a freshman in high school, I worked for newborn triplets and I had to take care of all three of them from nine in the morning until five for $3 an hour. Oh my God. It was ridiculous. It was, it was horrible. But anyway, so like I had those kind of jobs or I worked at summer camps or I was babysitting other kids, yeah. whatever, you know, like the harder jobs, like that, that you're really getting paid. Not that much. He started his own company and he's being creative every single day. I was like, that's the wave of the future. Like these kids are going to be smart. That's why we can't get people to do certain jobs now because they're like, you're not paying me enough to do it. I'd rather go and do this thing where I can make my own money and and be my own boss and have time to go surfing or whatever. So yeah, that's cool. That's coming along. And, And so encouraging them with that whole creativity. I like that consuming versus creation. Mm -hmm. and having a good balance in there. So what advice would you have for struggling parents right now? Okay. A lot of parents, they're going to go look for books and podcasts and like, hopefully this is helpful, but also that I say like the parenting formula, it can change. It can change based on each conversation so that you're going to create your own parenting formula based on listening to your kids and meeting them where they are. So don't just 
let them go. You know, don't just be, you know, let them be and hope that they're going to come around. Keep chatting with them, talking with them. Get on their level. Ask them what they're interested in. Have them show you what they're creating. Have them show you what they're watching. If they have, you know, favorite YouTuber or whatever it is, you know, get to know. So that way, number one, you know, if it's appropriate, but number two, you can kind of connect with them and ask them some, you know, ask them some questions. And it's hard for us because sometimes we're just so consumed in our own parenting. We have so much going on in our jobs and our work and then managing the household that we might not give it much significance, but our kids know when we do. Our kids know when we truly care and are listening to them. And I think that's also what makes a great teacher. When I work with teachers and they ask, help me with classroom management. And I tell them like, you need to show the kids that they can trust you and like that you can relate to them and that you really care about understanding them. And, and kids know I heard in one of your podcasts, like their energy is so pure, you know, right now, like they, they can read when somebody's being sincere, or when mm-hmm. they're not. you know, they can read when we're having a bad day or when a teacher or someone just doesn't like their job or doesn't really like kids or, you know, <laughs> yeah, they can read it, you know? So yeah. if, if you're in, in this position and as a parent with my own kids and my family, we, we have the language of saying like, I'm feeling like your energy is bringing me down right now, you know, and, and it's interesting because when your kids start saying it to you, like what I'm saying it to me, you know, to them and to my partner, then they start saying it to you. You're like, oh, okay, you're right. You're calling me on it. So kind of getting off the advice, but I think we just need to keep that connection with our kids in whatever way it is. And like you said, like take them to go get ice cream, take them to go get Froyo on a whim, even little things. And if they don't want to chat at first or give you a hug or whatever, just meet them where they are, you know, don't force force it, but keep doing it. So that way they know that you're not going to give up on them. Yeah. Even just the asking is doing something. Even if they turn you down, they're like, oh, mom does care. They may pretend like they're cool and that it doesn't matter that you ask them, but they remember it. And I remember working with my teens and the tweens as well. And when they had behavior issues and I sat down with them one-on-one and I said, how can I help you? How can I support you? Like, explain to me why you writing these things down is a problem. Well, they tell you. But prior to you actually sitting down with them, they're just looking like this behavior problem. Yes. And because they don't know what to do. And nobody's taught them the skill of like sitting down and asking for what they want. So I remember massively being like, whoa, it is so important to to get down to their level and have them trust you. And that was huge. Like, so I was working with those teenagers who threatened my life on a regular basis. It was crazy. But eventually after that year, I had won their trust. Mm-hmm. And the next two years that I worked there. Yeah. Next two years that I worked there actually was so much smoother and easier. So just gaining the trust, it takes a while. The other thing that I noticed, and I wonder if this is just like universal, but like when we were growing up, we would give adults and teachers respect just because that was what we were supposed to do. But nowadays kids want you to earn their respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I don't want to, I'm not going to place blame on like the parents or the families because a lot aren't like a lot do still respect teachers and the profession of teaching, but we also came through this culture of parenting and you know how like parenting, like there's different waves of like, you're going to do this kind of parenting or that kind of parenting. Somebody puts like a label and name to it. So we have like kind of created this culture of parents So maybe so kind of thinking, you know, my kid's just the greatest and the the teacher has the problem or, you know what I mean? And, (laughs) and kids and 
certain kids, uh, I mean, including my own, that are like very smart and savvy, they can kind of figure out how to play the system. And unfortunately, I think that's just what we're having to deal with as as teachers and in the school system. And I guess I could say, you know, I encourage my parents to have their kids say thank you to the teacher and to also make a connection, especially my kiddos with maybe some different learning styles. I encourage them to make a connection with their teacher in the beginning. So I'm trying to like coach both ways, like from the teacher side, but to connect with the kids, but also from the family side to say, hey, in the beginning of the year, encourage your kid to go ask the teacher, like, what do they do this summer? Or maybe send them an email or always say thank you for the class. And these little things are going to go a long way because that relationship building is both ways. It's mutual. We often don't realize that when we ask questions, and you know this just being in in education because we're trained this way, to not ask like yes or no or like questions that will give us a one-word answer. And as parents, if you're not in education or you're not in like a coaching role, you're not really trained to ask great questions. So I try to help my parents and encourage them to think about the question that they want to ask their kid in order to elicit more than a fine, mm -hmm, good, whatever, you know. Yeah, around our dinner table, that was one thing that was amazing that my parents did was we ate dinner together, I would say 99% of the time. My dad or mom would say, how was school today? And if we said good, they would say, you can't say good. <laughs> you have <laughs> yeah. to tell us something about it. And so it was. it did force us to think about the answers and then they could get to know their kids a little bit better, which it's great that they did that because I don't, I don't know how conscious they were of it or not, you know, because I was just a kid. But my dad has always been good about asking people questions to elicit a long answer which is where why I have a podcast because I I he modeled that for me yeah. growing up you work with parents and the kids so and tell tell me why you do that sometimes parents will come to me and say can you just fix my kid I just want you to coach my kid you know yeah. they need help with this they're not being responsible and I say no it doesn't really work that way because a lot of times the kids doing a behavior that their parent can also help shape based on the parents behavior and reaction and setting boundaries and creating systems together with the family. So it's really the dynamic of the family dynamic where we're going to help each other and going back to that being connected and they're in their kids' lives every day. And so not just going to be a one-off trying to fix the kid. And a lot of times the parent behavior or the parents fulfilling their own needs are, you know, creating kind of a dissonance with their kid and, you know, or maybe like a mistrust. They've kind of lost that connection. So it's important that we work with the whole family to get it back. I mean, and even the siblings too, the younger siblings dealing with their older siblings, kind of going through different stages and changes. That's really important too, because they're involved, you know, in that mm-hmm. life as well. Yeah. Huge dynamics in our family. We had a 20 year age span. So there were some tweens with teenagers and some five-year-olds with teenagers, you know, it was crazy. There was so so much, so many different dynamics going on. So yeah, there was a lot that was being witnessed. You have to look at the whole and work with the whole to, to get it going in a positive direction. But this idea of teens and tweens having a life coach is amazing. I mean, we didn't have that when we were growing up. Nobody was offering those kind of services. And it's so helpful to just learn a few different things and shift some parenting and some behaviors can really pay off a lot. I know what it's done for me as an adult learning these things and wishing I had known them when I was much younger, like EFT, for instance, or any of the mindset shifts that I've, I've done. The four agreements, I think, is amazing for parents, but also for children. I mean, my son, since he was three years old, maybe maybe four, he's been saying, you got to be impeccable with your word, mom. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, like, like oh, he use it. He'll use it against me. I'll be like, "Yeah, we'll go for ice cream later," and he'll be like, "Well, yeah. you said you gotta be impeccable with your word." Right, right. Anyway, don't you but love it, when they come back and like give you a taste of your own? I know, <laughs> right? So I'm gonna totally use this consuming versus creating. creating. Yeah, yeah. It's important to have a really good balance there because sometimes they do want to just check out. Like you said, it's so hard for them to be feeling seen all the time. Like I know what that feels like because I'm so sensitive to energy that. I know that I need times and breaks from people and yeah, people <laughs> really. Yes, people. That's <laughs> my really? retreat. Just to have a lot of compassion as a parent, trying to remember. I love how you said, like, some people don't remember. You know, it's important to try to connect with your younger self and just remember what a struggle it was and how you needed to be supported and maybe how you weren't receiving support and maybe give that to your kid because it, it would probably make a world of a difference. Yeah. I like how you said how you weren't receiving support. Yeah. I guess how both the both and cause, cause that's a really big deal. And I think that could really help as far as like some generational energy and things that kind of get passed down. I think that could really help stop and heal. And yeah, I'm going to need to look at this whole notebook going back and forth energy. <laughs> See and, where know, I got tripped yeah. up there. <laughs> I think that's really cool that you mentioned that as far as going back and I mean, the notebook idea, like not necessarily was it a always a positive thing, but at least you found your way of communicating with, yeah. with your mom and, you know, the girls and the moms during this time also a lot of times kind of we butt heads. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. Yeah. My sister had it way worse with my mom. Oh my God. I used to oh, be that's like, so interesting. My twin sister. Oh, it was so bad. I used to be like, Sarah, just close your mouth, please. Like I would try everything I could to get her to not get grounded. And she just couldn't control herself. And I would be like, you know, what's about to happen. It was so bad that our, our teachers knew how long Sarah was grounded. Like they would be like, how, how long is it now? And I'm like, oh my God, she's months. <laughs> So why do you think that that affected her that way with your mom and not you? Like, do you think, cause I, in my work too, I know like some of us have situations with the moms and then some don't like, do you, what do you think it is? I don't know. I know that I'm a soul that's been here for a long time, many times over. And so I think I ha came with some skills that were different. I also am very compassionate and I was very much a people pleaser and a perfectionist. So I was always trying to make my mom happy because that was a way that I could feel seen and then like just kind of ease the pressure because she had a lot of kids, you know, and I was always kind of like, let me just take the pressure off any way I can. And Sarah seemed to be like, let me put the pressure on any way I can. And I like, <laughs> be like, yo, please stop. And then we butted heads. So yeah. we didn't get along from 12 to 21. We were at each other's throats, basically. Petition thing? Well, yes. On her end, it was less, it wasn't on my end, but she, there were things that she wanted that I had going on. Like I just knew who I was from a very young age seeing people treating other people horribly. Like I just knew I wasn't going to be that kind of person that was going to do that. Mm -hmm. I also love soccer. I found soccer and I just became obsessed with it. And that was like my comfort. And I, and I also love science and, and math. And I excelled at school for the most part. I mean, it wasn't like I was like a major great student until I was a junior in high school when I realized, oh, you are really smart. You aren't just a dumb jock. Like <laughs> you can do this stuff. So for me, I always had direction and I had reason to do well. Like I had to stay focused because of soccer and things like that. And like I said, I wanted to make my mom happy and, and keep the pressure off. But I think the hormones really were, you know, much different between the two of us. 
I don't know. I think it's part of her soul journey <laughs> to, yeah. to piss off my mom and my mom just <laughs> get pissed off with her. Part uh, of her soul journey. Okay. Yeah. I, like I mean, that's all I got right there. I mean, just everybody's different. Yeah. And then, you know, I had my little brother and he was different. And then my little sister, I helped raise her and, she, and my older sister helped raise me and the other one. It's just a lot of different dynamics that I have definitely looked at over time and know that it has definitely shaped who I am and and how I relate. I mean, I remember just walking into a room and being like, whoa, is this room going to be safe for me to go into? Not that somebody was going to jump out and like beat the shit out of me or something like that. <laughs> Sorry, that's not horrible. But like energy wise, like, is it safe right. or is there an argument happening in here? Is somebody going to do something and then I'm going to get caught? <laughs> there because I'm just standing there watching, you know, and being like dumbfounded that they're doing it. So, and, and then you had the repercussions of my mom, just not really great at the latest parenting <laughs> tips other than what was it? Dr. Spock. She was a fan of whatever he said, <laughs> yeah. which was not all that great. So if, if parenting evolves and that's, that's the good news. And, and like I said, t- kids now have life coaches and there's podcasts. And I know actually somebody who has a podcast, their kids have a podcast for kids. Because they've been afforded these opportunities to have life coaches and and understand energy and things like that. And so that's cool. Well, I think we're evolving. I think we're we're getting there a lot faster than uh than we would have we kept parenting like we did in the eighties. Nineties. Yeah. And that's the good part about being having technology and having this because having access, because now we can have access to help heal and figure out how to make us the best possible human that we can while here so great. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge of 25 years working with parents and children and students. Is there anything else you want to share with us? No, I just, I really want us to help our kids. They really need our help. And so I just say, you know, whatever we can do, I'm on a mission to kind of help lower and prevent this or help. Let's, let's put in the positive, help our teens mental health, you know, and help them figure it out sooner rather than later. So we don't lose them. And I mean, lose them in both senses. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to end on that note. No, 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 no. Great conversation. It's a very serious. It's it's very true. We need to be supporting our teens and tweens mental health a hundred percent because it unfortunately is true. If they get too far away from us, that's when we run into trouble. They run into trouble. And it's sometimes things we can't undo. So like it's best to get on it way before it gets horrible. Thankfully, I think, you know, growing up with my twin sister, I know I was joking that she was so bad. I mean, she, she just talked back. No. It was really. Yeah, no, no, but, no I know. But, but that's important though, is like your siblings can kind of reel you in. And that's what we would do is sort of like, be like, come on, Sarah, you can, you can pull this back. You know, you can, you, mom's going to get pissed. Don't do that or whatever. We do need to lean on the support that's around us. And, and like you said, get the whole family together because we do want to see each other be successful. So why don't you share with us where we can find out more about you? Go to Instagram at I am Erin Hansen or middleschoollifecoach.com. I'm here to help Amy like you are. And so whatever I can do, feel free to reach out to me and I will help you and guide in any way I can. Even if it's not working with me, it might just be a resource, a book that I can help you with. Right. I love that you do that. Like your videos are so great on Instagram. They're just short little clips of like how you can be a better parent, offering what book might help at the time, or even, you know, obviously working with you is going to be very helpful. So we just need to have resources and tools in our tool belt as parents, as business owners, as adults. Erin, thank you for being on the show. You've been a pleasure to speak with, and I'm really excited for the future and and how we are going to evolve our parenting styles to help support our kids to become 
even better and be able to share their voice without feeling like they need to block their light or, or dim their light. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciated this and very grateful. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website or other platforms, including text, images, audio or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.